Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. How are we doing, church? Ooh, okay, cool. Some of you, some of you are ready to go. Appreciate that. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at FBH, and we are uh, we're glad that you're joining us today, both in person as well as uh, online. If you're joining us, happy you're here. Uh, I want to make you aware of a couple things real quick. I know you just got finished with Jeff's sermon of announcements, but a couple of my own that I want to make. Uh, in the beginning of, uh, of COVID, like two years ago, uh, we removed something that has been a part of our service for a long time that we want to put back in place. Um, and the reason we removed it was simply because close contact with people, all of that stuff, we feel like it's time to, uh, to bring it back. And so immediately after service, we used to have every single week someone up here or a couple up here for prayer and for counseling or anything like that that you should need. Um, and so we removed it. We thought, you know what, it's time to put it back into place. So if you are in need of prayer, counseling, questions, anything like that regarding uh, faith every single week to my stage left right here on the ground, we will have somebody there, either a member of our diaconate or somebody who one of their uh, spiritual gifts is prayer, will be there uh, and ready for you. So just so you're aware, they'll have a, uh, a red lanyard on. So um, <laughs> heaven forbid you pray with anybody without a red lanyard on, okay? But they'll they'll be uh, they'll be up over here. And the other thing is, this is our last week in our uh, in our series called the Creed, uh, and so we're going to get to that in just a second. You can flip to Genesis two. But one of the things that I want to make you aware of is that uh, starting next week, we're actually going to do a five week jaunt through uh, the book of First Peter is where we're going to be. And so First Peter for five weeks, there's five chapters in it. Um, and so if you are one of those people who likes to read along with us as we are walking through scripture, one chapter a week will get you there. Um, none of you have any excuse for how much reading you have to do. Okay, one chapter a week. Um, which the crazy thing is that re- that's leading us right up into Easter, which means that Easter is a mere six weeks away, everybody. Um, I know. Um, and so uh, the last thing, Easter, we'll have one service. going to be at 1030, so you guys don't need to adjust your schedule at all. Um, but uh, it's going to be out on the lawn right over here like we did last year. You bring your lawn chair. We'll bring the, uh, the caffeine, and uh, it'll be a, a good time for everybody. So uh, we're going we're gonna to jump in here. This is our, um, like I said, our last piece of our message uh, called the Creed. And what we've been doing is we've really just been taking a look at our statement of faith. What is it that we believe as a church? Our, when it comes to our theology, what are things that we are not going to, going to flex on at all? And so actually this piece, specifically this last piece of our statement of faith um, is a piece that I feel like is incredibly important. As a matter of fact, as I was like, you know, churches were calling me and I was talking to churches about where it is that, that God was calling, to me, calling me to, where is it that I was going to serve? One of the pieces that I wanted to make sure that the church had in place in their statement of faith was this last piece, and this is a piece on marriage specifically. And so what is it that the church believes regarding marriage? One of the reasons I think this is so important for a church to be able to to have and talk about in their statement of faith is because, because of the fact that our culture has shifted so vastly over the course of the last 30 to 50 years in regards to what it is that we believe a healthy marriage should look like, a, a God-ordained marriage should look like. And so I actually, um, I remember back in, uh, in 2003, 2004, I graduated from high school in 2003. I know some of you are like, get that infant off the stage. I get it. it was 2000, 2003 is when I graduated high school, started college then at Chico State. And I was at Chico for a year. Okay? And so as I was at, 
at Chico State, um, I had a lot of very uh, forming conversations. And, and I grew up in a church a lot like our church, um, believed the same things, that mostly the same things that, that our church believes and that sort of thing. And so I went away to college and I assumed, you know what, man, I'm going to turn Chico State, one of the top 10 largest party schools in the United States of America into a Christian college, right? Any 18-year-old can do that with no training or calling on his life to do so. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go do it. And so I had a lot of these difficult conversations. But back in 2003, 2004, there, there was a movement continuing to form. Okay. Um, actually, uh, the, the Equality Act kind of, kind of was brought forth out of this. So in 2008, uh, the Supreme Court or, or the Congress or whoever it was, you law people can get mad at me later. The United States of America government, ha, I win, decided that marriage can essentially be between a man and a woman, a man and a man, or a woman and a woman. And so that started back early 2000s, late 90s. That movement kind of started. And as I was in college, I kind of got wrapped up in a conversation. Um, I'm sure it wasn't my fault at all. Um, about what marriage should look like. Right? And so we started having this conversation, and out of my mouth came, no, I believe marriage should only be between a, be between a man and a woman. And, and I'm lucky I escaped with my life because they said why, and I had no answer for them. I had no answer for them. All I did was essentially like tuck my tail between my legs and be like, I hate you all, and close the door and run back to my dorm room, right? Because I had no answer for them. And so when I think, uh, or when I think about what it is that we believe about marriage and what God has set out for us regarding marriage, I think it's less about the understanding, like what it is that we believe, but more importantly, why is it that we believe these things? Like, why is it that, that in the grand scheme of things in our society today, why is it that if one person chooses to love another person, that, that we should have issue with their relationship? Or should we at all? And so today, I wanna, we're going to do two things. We're going to break down our statement of faith like we've done every single time, right? We're going to talk about Scripture, where it is that, that we've gotten that. But we're really going to try to land hard with why is it that this is important to each and every one of us today. You guys good with that? Yes? Good. Cool, because you don't have a choice. That's where we're going. So as we start, though, we have to understand that, that marriage is a, a keystone to our society and was set in place by God himself. Okay, we have to start with that understanding, okay? It's not some construct that was put forth by the state. This isn't just some societal norm. This is God's idea in the first place for man and woman to be married to each other. But when we get to our society, we actually see that the state of marriage in our society is in shambles, complete and total shambles. Most recent statistics would tell you that 48 percent of marriages end in divorce. 48 percent. And that seems pretty high. That number is actually a little bit skewed. Okay, because what that number tells you is actually it's, it, it's one in two marriages essentially, not one in two people. Okay, so what happens is, is when you are married and you get a divorce, if you get a divorce, you are actually statistically more likely to get another divorce after that. And another divorce after that. That's just how kind of the statistics work. So really, it's one in two marriages, but it's only one in three people. So about 33% of people will be divorced in their life. And you think, okay, well, that's not 50%. That is better. That is true. Here's the, the disheartening fact, though. is when you look at Christians in general and compare it to society, that number actually barely changes. 
If you were to look at the statistics of, of people who say that they are a devout Christian, okay, and that falls under Catholicism as well, okay? But if they say, yes, I'm a Christian, I can, I can check that box, 20, it's, it's 27%, so closer to one in four, but still very close to one in three devout Christians, people who say that their faith helps shape their worldview, it's almost exactly the same. It's 28% for people who would call themselves Catholic and 26% for people who would call themselves evangelical Christians like we would. Okay, and so the, the, that's a really kind of, kind of hard statistic. And so while it is better, obviously we want to live according to the word of God. We want to do our best to honor God with our marriage. So if marriage is, is obviously important to Christians... We need to ask both uh, what we believe about it that makes it so important, but we also need to answer that question, why is it important? At the end of the day, why do Christians have such hard lines drawn in the sand regarding what it is that they believe about marriage, believing what it is that they do about sex, and believing what it is that, that marriage's role in society actually is? So just a disclaimer, today we are going to be talking about marriage. We're also going to be talking about sex a little bit. Stuff that makes you uncomfortable. Too bad you're already here. Okay. So this is our creed. This is our statement of faith. This is what it says on there. If you clicked onto our website and you go to what we believe, it says, we believe that, that marriage has been created by God to join one man and one woman in a lifelong exclusive relationship of mutual care, support, and intimacy, and is the only biblical context for sexual activity. This is very important to me. This statement of faith, like I said, is very, very important to me. And I think what happened with churches is they, they got their statement of faith in place. And then as society was kind of doing what society does and continues to roll downhill, churches never updated their statement of faith. So I'm thankful that our church over the course of the last couple decades actually decided that they were going to include this piece in the statement of faith. It is not, this is not in our original, original documentation regarding our statement of faith or anything like that. This was added later. So let's break it down. The first part of this is that marriage was created by God. Go ahead and flip to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 18. The Lord God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. Amen, men? There are like two of you who said amen. You guys are like, no, I want to be alone. Let me be in my garage and fix and break stuff. Okay. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all of the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she, is taken, she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife 
were both naked and they felt no shame. Amen, men? Not even on that one? Come on. (laughs) All right. So God designed marriage to meet kind of our need for companionship and to provide a picture of our relationship with him. So as you kind of look back through this text, you recognize that, that man was there and he was alone. And God was like, hey, you need companionship. It's not good for you to be alone. So God was like, hey, you know what? Name all of these animals. I think This is less for God. I think this is more for Adam. For Adam to realize that regardless of, of the animals that he found, regardless of his, his little dog that he found or his cat, if, he, if he's a cat guy, I don't know why Adam would be a cat guy, but regardless of all those things, no companionship could be found. No solid companionship could be found. And so then as he is, he is realizing that, God's like, hey, you know what? Take a nap. And so he put Adam to sleep. He grabbed a rib, and regardless of what your, your Sunday school person next to you said in fourth grade, men and women have just as many ribs as each other, okay? I know that floated around in the Sunday school circuit for a while. And then from that, he created Adam, or created Eve, rather, his companion. This is the institution of marriage for the first time. Adam says, flesh of my flesh is bone of my bone. She shall be called woman. This is his companion forever to to meet the need of companionship for him that no other creature on earth could meet. Once a year, uh, I I go on a guy's retreat with three of my best friends. Hey, we go up to, uh, one of my friends has a cabin up in Arnold, California, and we go up there and we pretend like we're still in our, our 20s and try to compete and then and it's really hot and it's sun, in the sun all day so at the end of every single day we ice our hamstrings and our sunburns and it's a great time right and so while we're there together um, we also uh, have like a rotating pastor so once a year we name one of us pastor for the weekend and that person's responsible for coming and and challenging us and we share our life and we know that this is a safe place for us to be able to be and share the things that we're struggling with, share our wins, talk about our families, all those different things, right? And then we push each other towards greatness then throughout the year. We try to do our best to push each other towards God, towards holiness. And so, so we, do, we do that for the weekend. And it's great. Let me tell you, it's fantastic for about a day and a half. And then, because I, I, for a day and a half, you're like, man, I can sleep in. I can take a nap. I know some of you are, are nap people, and so I can take a nap, like, like I can eat whatever I want. I don't have to share my food. As a matter of fact, if someone tries to take my food that is sinful on this retreat, right, like you don't, don't touch my stuff. And so it's great for like a day and a half, and something happens after a day and a half, and it probably has something to do with like my wounded ego from recognizing I'm not the athlete that I once was, and the fact that I don't, like I don't have my companion with me and so after a day and a half I'm like okay like this has been fun and these relationships are really important for me to be able to continue on in these relationships but I just kind of want to hang out with my wife like I want to be next to my wife and so I still have like two days after that right and so like I'm like always like standing like closer to my friends than I'm probably comfortable with because I'm like I need companion like someone hang out with like be closer to me and so I get home and, like, I just want to sit next to, like, close to my wife. I want to sit close to my companion. And she's like, I've had five boys crawling over me for four days. Get away from me. 
right? Like, like, but, but there is a companionship there. And as important as both of those relationships are, but of course, the relationship that I have with my wife and the relationship that I have with my friends, like important, as important as both of those things are, even that companionship that I enjoy thoroughly with my buddies, and it pales in comparison to the relationship that I have with my wife. Right, Because God created Sarah and I for one another. He created us for marriage, for companionship. And so I guess we, we need to understand, so if God created marriage, what is it that marriage should look like? So the first part of our statement of faith says that, that marriage is to join one man and one woman. Okay, 1 Corinthians 7.2. It says, but since... Sexual immorality is occurring. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The, the text says to his wife, not wives. Okay, monogamy is, is God's design. One man, one woman for life. And just as a, uh, as a disclaimer for this part, we aren't talking in depth about homosexuality today. Okay? We've talked about it before. We'll talk about it. Again, what we believe about homosexuality is that it is sinful and it's not honoring to God. That's our stance on it. But in this section, we're actually talking about the exclusivity of marriage. And so although God tolerated polygamy in the Old Testament, this was not his original intention. This is not God's original in, uh, uh, design. Actually, anytime you see polygamy in the Bible, issues follow pretty quickly after it. A hundred percent of the time. There are issues that come after that. You know, God easily could have created many wives for Adam, but he didn't. One man and one woman for life is God's design for marriage. Guys, this means when you get married, you give up close friendships with women other than your wife. Ladies. This means that when you get married, you give up close friendships with other men other than your husband. You give up your freedom to go out with the boys whenever it is that you choose. And when I go on my weekend, I ask permission every single year if I can go on this weekend with my buddies. And it sounds ridiculous. Like we, lo we laugh about it. We joke about it. My wife knows it's coming. But also I recognize that my first responsibility is to her. It is to my wife. And so because of that, hey, I'm going to clear these things with you. You give up that, that freedom. You have a new relationship with your spouse. They are now your, your first priority in terms of human relationships. And if you can't handle that, if you're like, no, i got to still go out with the boys whenever I want to go out with the boys, that's fine. Let me just tell you, you're not ready for marriage. You're not, you're not mature enough to get married if that is your priority rather than your spouse. This means that your wife, and I, my guess is more, this probably applies to more of us in here than the first part of that. But this means that, that your wife, hear me, always comes before your children. Ladies, this means your husband always comes before your children. Your commitment is to your spouse first, immediately after God. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but the best thing you can, you can do for your kids is not 
put them in the fanciest schools. The best thing that you can do for your kids is not for you to put them into travel ball so they eventually maybe make it to college at some point. Like the best thing you can do for your kids is not take them on another epic trip or another epic adventure. Right? The best thing you can do for your kids is nurture and foster a relationship with your spouse that they can model when they grow up. It is the best thing you can do for your kids. I want my kids, as much as they don't want to see it, I want them to see me kiss their mother. And some of them are like, oh, dad, stop. And there's one kid who claps every time, which creeps me out a little bit, but I don't know. Can you not? But I want them to see that because I want them to have that in a relationship when they get older. I want their, like our kids to know when, when Sarah and I get in an argument that, that, that we're less concerned about like who's right and more concerned about validating one, each other, one another's feelings than moving towards an answer together. Like that's not marriage. Marriage isn't like getting bowed up and, and, and seeing how much damage the other person can inflict until eventually someone wears down and you can say you're right. That's not marriage. That's not conflict resolution. That's just getting mad at each other. That's foolish. And so I want our kids to see Sarah and I disagree. And then I want Sarah and I, to, or I want our kids to see Sarah and I, like, like how we work through it. And how we get through that. How we do that, that conflict resolution. Because I want them to, to see what a healthy marriage looks like. I want them to see what a God-honoring marriage looks like. I want my kids to know that my wife, my bride, is my best friend and I would do anything for her short of sin. Anything. I want to model my wife being the, the second most important thing in the world for them so one day their marriages look exactly like that as well. That's the most important thing you can do for your kids is not choose them first. And not just for one day. Not just for Valentine's Day, guys, which is February 14th as a reminder because we tend to forget that. Not just on your anniversary, not just on your wife's birthday. That's not the only time that you're supposed to serve your wife and love your, love your wife well and sacrifice yourself for your spouse it's forever. It is a lifelong commitment, a lifelong exclusive relationship of mutual care, support, and intimacy is the way we have it framed in our statement of faith. If I have a hard day, that does not mean my marriage should suffer. If you have a hard day at work, that does not mean that your marriage should, should suffer. Will I react emotionally? Sometimes, sure. Are there times where I need to come home and process my day because it was difficult? Sure. But at the end of the day, if my work schedule has forced me to neglect my responsibilities as a husband, then something has to change. And it isn't my marriage status. It's my work schedule. It's how I deal with my family. It's how I deal with my responsibilities. And I've talked about this before, and not to shine too much of a light on myself, but even as I was walking through the interview process here, if you believe for one second that I'm going to choose the church, the church as in my job, over my marriage when the two are in conflict, you are going to be very disappointed in me as a pastor. Sorry. 
you get second place 100% of the time when you're going up against my wife. She wins. So if you're upset at me about that, I'm sorry. We have plenty of other great churches in town. Feel free to go, to go check them out. But that is, that is my priority. It's my marriage. Because I recognize the most important human relationship in this world is my wife. Not a board meeting, not a Wednesday night dinner, not a counseling session. My wife, my spouse, my number one. As the kids say, my ride or die. Do they still say that? I don't even know they still say that. Does that mean I can neglect my responsibilities here? Absolutely not. But it does mean that my wife will always win when it comes down to it. So what else is marriage? We believe that marriage is the only biblical context for sexual activity. It's when everybody squirms. Okay? It's the only biblical context for sexual activity. Can we get something out there for just a second? Because we're Christians, we don't like talking about it. This is appropriate, all this says. God wants you to have sex. Write that down. Husband, stop nudging your wife. God wants you to have sex. You know, this is one of the first commands God gives Adam and Eve after Eve is created. You know that? Like, they're standing there and they're naked when I ask you guys to say amen. And then after that, you know what God says? He says, be fruitful and multiply. Go have sex with one another. It is God's command for marriage. is sexual activity. He is for that. The problem is, is that we have distorted, humanity has distorted sexual activity into something that it was never intended to be. Not all sex is honoring to God. God designed sex for the marriage bed. For man and for woman. And God wants us to save sex for marriage, not because it's bad or not because sex is dirty or anything like that, but because it's unique because it's exclusive and wonderful. Sex isn't just like this, this casual fun. It's not just a, a feel-good way of expressing your mutual feelings for one another. It's about two people becoming one flesh. It's not a metaphor. Two people becoming one flesh. Matthew 19, 4 and 5. Haven't you read, he replied. That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female, and he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 1 Corinthians 6.16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? It's not talking about marriage, obviously. It's talking about sex. For it is said, the two will become one flesh. It's not a metaphor. The same concept underlies the commandment against adultery back in Exodus 20, 14. In the biblical view, adultery includes any sexual activity outside of marriage. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Does it say some of the sexually immoral? It says all. So we're going to take a detour real quick. See at the end of Hebrews 13 right there where it says all the sexually immoral? I get incredibly frustrated with the church. Because over the course of the last 30 to 50 years, the church vilified homosexuality out of one side of their mouth and gave a pass to everyone in a straight relationship who were sleeping with their, their partner outside of marriage on the other hand. 
We did a great job at talking about how homosexuality is a sin and that everybody, as long as they were straight, regardless they were married, married or not, we're just not going to talk about them though. We're not going to talk about that sin. We're just going to let that go. Can we for a second just be honest and not be hypocritical about this entire thing? If you are having sex with somebody outside of marriage, man and a woman, like if you are having sex with somebody and you are not married to that person, that's just as sinful as any other sexual sin, as any other sin, period. Can we just be okay saying that for a second and hold the line there? Because that's why we've gotten called hypocritical for the last 50 years in American Christianity. It's one of the major reasons that we have been called hypocrite. It doesn't matter which part of this understanding that you break, whether it's the one man and one woman part or the sex inside of marriage part. It is sexual sin. And it's not honoring to God. And everything we do should be honoring to God. Yes, including sex. And sex, man, it's, it's a holy mystery. It's this powerful bonding agent that shapes and affects the relationship between a man and a woman as nothing else can. That's why the Bible compares idolatry to the sin of sex before marriage. Or compares it to, to adultery. It's why the Bible uses this idea of, of sexual purity and faithfulness between spouses as an image of our relationship with God. It's powerful. So, so the question, all of these things, like who created it, what is it, all of these different things, I think most of us understand that. And maybe your, your walking point from here came from one of those, but can we talk about why this matters in, in the year 2022? Like, why is it that we need to matter? And I think there's a couple reasons. But the first reason that I think it matters is simply because the Bible says so. That's why we started with the Bible at the beginning of this entire thing. That's why we started by saying, hey, here is our understanding of Scripture. Here is our understanding of God's Word. And we've said numerous times since then, if you don't have the same understanding, if you don't have the same belief regarding God's word, we're probably not going to see eye to eye on a whole lot of things. And that's okay. That's one of the things I didn't understand when it came to my argument when I was at Chico State. I didn't understand that all I, like simply all, all I have to say was because the Bible says so. And, and, and just say like, I know that that you and I don't believe the same thing about the Bible, and because of that, we're probably not going to come to the same agreement regarding this issue, but that's okay. Like, that's all I had to say. Is that The Bible says so, and I believe what the Bible says. And I'm bound by that. And I'm, I'm, okay, I'm okay with that. But that has, that has a little less of a backbone than the second reason, I think. Because if you're just saying the Bible says so, that's usually people feel like that's a cop-out, right? So, so the second reason I think that, that this really matters in, in 2022 is that God designed marriage to, to, to provide a picture of our relationship with God. That's how God designed it. Marriage is, a, is an earthly picture of this spiritual relationship that exists between Christ, the bridegroom, and his church, the bride. 
That's what it is. The, the consummation of marriage is referred to uh, in the Bible as a man knowing his wife. Right? We talked about how husband and wife, they become one flesh. Husband and wife become one flesh. You know who we are in one spirit with? The Lord. So as husband and wife become one spirit, the Lord and his, or become one flesh, the Lord and his people are one in spirit. Just as the church is supposed to be subject to Christ as the head, the wife is supposed to be subject to her husband, as it says in Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24. Just as Christ loves the church, so a husband is supposed to love his wife, as it says in Ephesians 5, 25, right? Someone, someone described marriage as, as God's doing with one man and one woman that which he purposes to do within the world as a whole. So one man and one woman, they get married. That would, be, that would be what God would want to do with the world as a whole. That's why it's so important for you to work at, for all of us to work at, developing a Christ-honoring relationship with your mate. You're working on a portrait of Christ and the church. And more humbling than that, the world is watching you do it. The people in your relational world, your oikos, your 8 to 15 people, you think they're just looking at you? They're looking at your marriage as well. Looking at the way you lead your family as well. You should be trying to make your relationship look like that same love and sacrifice that Christ provided. You're supposed to love your spouse, men, in the same way that Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church best? Yeah, he came and he taught, taught about morality, performed some miracles, showed us that he was God, that he was deity while he was on this earth. As you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But at the conclusion of those Gospels, towards the end of all of those Gospels, the story always ends the same. He loved the church best by fully sacrificing himself to serve the church so that the church, the people of God, could be in greater community with his Father. Spouses, husbands, wives. You want to look at how it is that we are supposed to, to emulate somebody in marriage? Look at the way Christ love the church. That means, based on that definition, you should be willing to do anything short of sin and including death to spur your spouse towards God. Let me say that. Let me say that again. That means you should be willing to do anything short of sin and including death to spur your spouse towards Jesus because that's what Christ did for the church. He did everything short of sin and including death to spur us towards God. So when marriage is, when marriage is at its best, marriage can show people a glimpse of our faith. Marriage can show people a glimpse of our relationship with God. Marriage can show people an, an enduring love that God has for us. And so marriage, as is found in Scripture, is important. And it's important to us, not just for those things, but lastly, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 5, it says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. 
You want to know why it's important? Right there. It is God's will for your life. You want to know what God's will is for your life? To be sanctified. If you're new to church, sanctified means to become holy, to be set apart, to become more like God. It's a process of sanctification. And then it says that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. God wants you to be holy and sanctified. God sent his son to redeem us so we could be holy and become sanctified to save us, not just from hell for eternity. We love thinking about having a free ticket into heaven. God, Jesus also saved you from sin every single day. It's that process of sanctification. And so the question becomes is what what would it look like for you personally to honor God with your marriage or your future marriage. For those of you who are in here who are single, I'm sorry. We're talking about marriage today. But what does it look like in your current marriage or your future marriage for you to honor God? I can't answer that question for you. Your spouse might be able to. They're the ones with the sharp elbows sitting next to you. Or at least maybe they think they can. But can I just offer this? If you're not married, if you're not married, maybe the way that you, you honor your, your future spouse is you're not sitting there and, and just consumed with the idea of marriage. That once I'm married, I'll be fulfilled. Once I'm married, I'll be happy because that's not the case. I can tell you, everybody who's married in here can tell you firsthand that that marriage, there is a piece of companionship to it. But if you're looking for someone to fulfill you, they're going to fail you 100% of the time. But maybe it's if you're single and you're waiting, trying to figure out how to honor your future marriage, maybe, hey, just start with stop sleeping around. Maybe it's you're honoring God in all of your relationships. but, But maybe for those of you who are married, it looks like, nurturing your spouse and sacrificing yourself for your spouse, serving your spouse, caring for them and putting them before anything else other than God. Church, if we did marriage correctly and walked out what it is we believe about this this holy union, we would be providing a much better example for everyone in the world regarding how it is that, that God loves his people. Marriage just isn't about you. And your marriage isn't about just you and your spouse. This is a kingdom issue. This is a huge deal. This is, this is bigger than you are personally or even just you as a couple. And so I don't know where it is that you land today on how it is that you need to make your marriage more God-honoring, what decisions you need to make, what actions you need to put forth. Husbands, I expect all of you to open your wife's car's doors when you leave today. I don't know what it is, but the conclusion that we need to come to this morning is that none of this matters, none of this matters metaphorically if Christ didn't first come to save humanity. That's where it starts. And so today we get the opportunity to to receive communion. That's what we do on the first Sunday of the month. So if you did not receive communion elements, you can go ahead and raise your hand. I'm going to invite the band back up on stage. And I want you to take this time. I want you to take this time of communion to, one, make sure you're square with God. 
You got one over here, Dave. Make sure you're square with God. Make sure that, that if, if you have said yes to Christ at some point in your life, if you made a profession of faith and you are actively pursuing sin, take an opportunity and apologize to God. Be broken over that sin. Turn from that sin. If you've never put your faith in Christ before, that's okay. But I want you to know that communion's not for everybody. A communion is reserved for those people who have said yes to Jesus in their life, who have made a profession of faith in their life. So if that's you, great. We're happy to take communion alongside of you. We uh, believe in what's called an open table, meaning you don't have to be a member of our church in order to receive communion. You simply need to be a part of the family of Christ. But if that's not you today, if you're not yet a part of the family of Christ and you've just been teetering, even like, you know what, I've been, I've been try- I, I should have made this decision. I feel, like, I feel like the Holy Spirit maybe is calling me to this, and I just haven't taken that jump. I haven't said yes yet. If that's you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with us in just a second. And then after we're done with that prayer, after you're making a profession of faith, you are a part of the family of God, and we would love to receive our first, or your first communion with you this morning. But for everybody else, the band is going to play for just a second. We'll receive communion together after I pray. And while that is happening, take an opportunity either to take some time and just thank God for whatever it is that he's done in your life. Or maybe it's a challenge that you heard this morning. Right? Maybe you're feeling a little bit beat up because you're not serving your spouse in the way that they deserve to be served. Maybe it doesn't look like Jesus very much in his relationship with this church. If that's you, I would encourage you, one, take an opportunity to apologize to God. But two, and maybe it's not, not, not right now, but two, maybe you take an opportunity to apologize to your spouse at some point today and tell them how it is that you want to make your marriage more holy how it is that you want your relationship to better exemplify Christ in the way he served his church. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for marriage. I'm thankful for everything that comes along with marriage, God. I'm thankful that you created it from the very beginning. That you started it with Adam and Eve. And God, in the same way that as Adam and Eve were, were naked and ashamed and they made fig leaves, but then you, you covered their shame, you covered their sin with animal skins. Father, you have covered our sin, you have covered our shame with the blood of your son. So thank you for that, Father. And Father, for those in here who have maybe not yet said yes to you with heads still bowed and eyes still closed. Whether it's the first time you've made a profession of faith or you just need to re-up with God and say, hey God, I am sorry, I'm messing up in my life. I wanna do my best to honor you better. If you're in either of those two camps today, just pray along with me. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I don't just admit that, Father. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for my sin. My heart breaks because of my sin, because I want to honor you. 
Because B, I believe that you sent your son to the cross for me to pay my debt so I could be with you forever. And C, I would choose to follow you every single day of my life. Whether I'm single or married, I choose to honor you in those relationships, Father. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.